Hello, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Boondocks Medicine. With me today is Ms. Joan Sullivan-Garrett, a nurse by training and founder and chairman of the board of MedAir, Inc., based in Tempe, Arizona. Welcome, Ms. Joan Garrett. How are you? Very well, thanks. Wonderful. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us today. Fascinating company and fascinating business model, really, that you created for yourself in MedAir. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what the most common calls that you get in the first place? What's coming into MedAir? Well, just in sheer numbers, as you know, we're about 21 years old as a company now. And last year, in 2006, we had about 36,000 cases that we managed through our MedLink Center. MedLink is the hotline to board-certified emergency physicians from anywhere in the world. And these physicians are on the line within one minute. And I think that's pretty unusual that you can actually talk to a doctor in that period of time. These are the same doctors that were helping me back in 1986 when the program was first launched. So 36,000 cases and 17,310 were actual in-flight medical emergencies, and that was in, in 2006. Our data is documented in a case management system, so we can actually aggregate these data into reports, and this statistics that we collect allow us to update our kits to be more appropriate to the types and the nature of medical emergencies that are happening in 2007, 2008, and, and going forward. And also educating the airlines as to what we believe they should put on, in their kits and, and also keeping in line with what the standard of care is in the industry. So what are the top in-flight medical categories? Well, number one, and it's been number one almost for 20 years, is neurological. And the number one call that we have are vasovagal events. And in a global travel world, we're finding that people are missing their insulin shots. They're exhausted. They don't manage their time zone travels well. They stand up on the plane and pass out. That's it. In most cases, there is no untoward um, outcome. They recover. They get off the plane, and they're fine. And are we talking hypoglycemia as the number one reason for that, or are we talking... Any number of reasons, and it could be too much at the bar prior to boarding. There are many reasons. They are vasodilated, or, or they may pop a nitroglycerin, and it may be a more serious problem, and they stand up and, and pass out. So there's a, any number of reasons why they, they might have a vasovagal event. Uh, the second one is gastroenterology. We have a lot of adventurous eating in Africa and Asia, and these people get on board and they have vomiting, diarrhea, and or they just have traveler's diarrhea. And that's the number two call that we get. The third most common call is respiratory. We have a lot of people, I think well over a million people in the country that have chronic lung illness, and these people are very mobile, and, and it's great, but sometimes their physicians may not be aware that there are altitude changes in the, in the aircraft. For example, if they're living in San Diego where you are and they hop on a plane and they're going to New York, they're going to be at 8,000 feet. And yet many physicians would never allow their patients to, to go to Denver, Colorado. So it's a, it's a matter of just knowledge and understanding that it's a pressurized environment to 8,000 feet. So respiratory is the third most often call received. And the fourth is cardiac, cardiac and vascular types of problems, inclusive of PEs or thrombosis, vascular thrombosis. And we have actually had pulmonary embolisms in flight, so it does happen, not that often, but it does. 
And the fifth one is orthopedic types of cases. Well, I was just going to say, I, I have to imagine trauma is actually lower on the list, but you're saying orthopedic injuries, which I'm assuming are secondary to some sort of trauma, occur on the plane fairly regularly? That's that's what exactly? What's happening there? I had an 80-year-old woman. I was flying on a flight from London to, to Phoenix, and as she was boarding, a gentleman in, in business class left his briefcase in the aisleway, and she toppled over that, fell down, and broke her clavicle. And she had an obvious dislocation, a very unstable fracture, and she couldn't go, obviously. But the the point is, is that injuries do happen. Things fall out of the overhead. What they say is absolutely true. They do shift, and be careful when you take out your overhead belongings. So orthopedic injuries do account for the fifth largest number of calls that we get. Where does choking and maybe things like allergic reaction, where do those all fall out on terms of the... Uh... Not very often. Those aren't even on the radar screen, but they are trained today to intervene with those types of problems. As a matter of fact, in the emergency medical kit, there are EpiPens in most airlines now, even the regionals, because obviously uh, with anaphylaxis, you just don't have time to land the plane if it's a severe allergic reaction. So we have been very instrumental by utilizing our data to influence the addition of EpiPens on commercial aircraft, and in many cases, even for children. So there are many ways in which we're contributing to the betterment of in-flight care, and that's just one example. That's wonderful. How about mental health issues like anxiety or psychosis? Is that Where does that happen? It's fairly insignificant. The numbers may seem large, and I don't have them available right now, but we do collect those data, and they certainly do occur. And we treat those as we do anything else. But sometimes it can be a situation which would require a diversion. And because if somebody is having a psychotic event and they are unable to be controlled, then that represents a safety of flight issue and they must land that plane. And that probably is a great segue into what are the top five reasons why planes divert for medical emergencies. You're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, and I'm speaking with Ms. Joan Sullivan-Garrett, a nurse by training and founder and chairman of the board of MedAir, Inc., a company that deals with medical emergencies in air flights based out of Tempe, Arizona. Thank you, Ms. Sullivan-Garrett. Today, you're going to quiz our audience. Let's see if they can – you pose it as questions. Like do a top 10 David Letterman or top 5 David Letterman list starting with the least frequent cause of plane diversions. Let's see if anybody out there can guess as you, give, as you go down the list for us. Top 5 diversion categories. Number 5 is obstetric and gynecological emergencies. Okay, okay. Number 4. Imminent delivery or possibly an abruption or miscarriage. How often does that occur? Approximately, let's see, in, in about 20 f- times in 2004, about 20 times in 2005, and about 20 times in 2006. The number four reason for diversions, gastroenterology, GI bleed, or severe abdominal pain that is unable to be managed on board the aircraft, or as I mentioned before, severe vomiting diarrhea. Okay, number three. Respiratory. Respiratory. And this, this could be a severe allergic reaction. could be asthma. It could be respiratory embarrassment. And again, remember, the flight attendants are only trained in basic life support. So if somebody's not breathing and it cannot be resolved, they're 
on the ground. They have to divert the aircraft. Absolutely. Now, do all airlines have separate canisters of oxygen that they can make available to individuals, or do you just push the button and, and the oxygen pops down? The, the one time I needed oxygen, there was actually oxygen on board as a separate standalone thing. They have what they call POBs. These are portable oxygen bottles, and these portable oxygen bottles contain approximately 11 cubic feet of oxygen, and they have two flow rates, low and high. The number two is cardiac, cardiac arrest. Most likely that that flight will divert, but the beauty now is if you're going to have a heart attack, that a plane is a perfect place to do it because you're within two minutes a minute to two minutes of, it, of being disturbed Again, if, if people know how to use the AED, and it seems like most of the personnel on board are trained in that, correct? And I think this is a great point because most physicians are not trained in how to use the AED. The crew are instructed not to hand that device over to physicians, that they are to follow their protocols, utilize the AED, and then utilize the expertise of medical volunteers. And what's our number one reason to divert airplane travel? Neurological. Strokes, unrelenting seizures, but neuro is the number one and way above cardiac. And what do we have in terms of medications available to us? Do we have uh, benzodiazepines or... Right. You do not have any drugs that really would address that. Obviously, Valium would be nice. Benadryl is about it. No, that would actually probably be not a good idea to, to give someone, especially unless you have intramuscular injections of Benadryl. I'm not sure how it's, how it's packaged. It, it is injectable. But let me say that that's on U.S. carriers. And usually the reason that is is because there's so much theft of um, narcotic agents, and therefore they don't carry them. Even, even rectally administered diastat. You know, something that's kept up maybe in the pilot's uh, cabin or something to that effect. Nope, they don't. As a matter of fact, we, we got a letter today forwarded to us from the Flight Safety Foundation. A physician was volunteering to help a diabetic emergency on board an aircraft, and he said, why in the world don't airlines have glucometers on, on board? They have glucose, they have dextrose on board, but they don't have a glucometer. Well, obviously, and our medical director address this by saying, well, obviously, they would have to check these devices on a daily basis to ensure that they are operating and are operating effectively, and they cannot do this within the airlines. There's no one trained to do that, and the cost would be prohibitive. The most you can hope is to, to advise your patient who is a diabetic to always bring the glucometer with them. I want to thank Ms. Joan Sullivan Garrett, a nurse by training, founder and chairman of the board of a medical company known as Medair, Inc., based out of Tempe, Arizona, specializing in emergencies that occur, medical emergencies that occur at 30,000 feet. That's right, in an airline. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Krakowski. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals.